0: Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro FM, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, you know the one, but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from the people who know audiobooks the best, local booksellers. Libro FM is also currently running a summer listening challenge. Each person to finish will get free audiobook credit and the chance to win free audiobooks for a year if you complete the challenge extra credit. Listeners of When in Romance can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Go to Libro.fm, that is L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter the code BR3. That's B-R-3. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you are supporting local bookstores.
1: Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, one of, I guess, two of your favorite places to talk about romance novels. Ha 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 ha. (laughs) (laughs) This is episode 38 and we are recording on July 11th and I am Jess... And I am Trisha, and Jess. That was
0: some brilliant sort of foreshadowing, I think, to use <laughs> a book term, uh, because we have a very exciting guest uh, today. We have Sarah Wendell of the Smart Bitches Trashy Books website and the Smart Podcast Trashy Books podcast.
2: Is that the right name? Did I get that right? Yes, it's had three names, so it's okay to be confused. <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> that makes me feel better. Um, Sarah, do you want to tell folks a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do in the romance world? But you helped to sort of originate in for the 20th century, 21st
2: century in some ways. Oh. Gosh, I don't know if that's true. Thank you. Um, I am the co-founder and current mastermind of Smart Bitches Trashy Books. I'm the host and producer of Smart Podcast Trashy Books, which I realized earlier this year is in its 10th year, wow. which makes me feel really ancient. Thank you. I am the author of two books about the romance genre, and I am the author of a Hanukkah romance novella called Lighting the Flames, because let's face it, Hanukkah is a super romantic holiday, right? <laughs> like candlelight, and there's jelly donuts, and there's fried food. I don't understand how there's not more of these because that's super romantic. But I will get off my soapbox now so we can do this whole podcast thing. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for joining us. We are delighted. And I totally agree about the Hanukkah romance thing. I mean, come on, fried food. Perfect time.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's true. And, you know, Jess and I ended up with it. We have a couple of... Newsy things and a couple of updatey things. We got some email feedback, but I think we're going to hold it for our next show because this is our mid year check in spectacular. Oh, thank you for the (laughs) sound effects. Um, (laughs) I just named it that. I think uh, it's going to be a rollicking good time. So we will hold sort of our normal business. And actually, there has been some romance discussion going on lately. Mm -hmm. But for now, Jess, you want to do one of our sponsors before we we jump, we jump launch
1: right in? That sounds like a good plan, because I think we're going to get distracted really easily. <laughs> what? Welcome oh, to Win and no. Romance, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I do this all the time. <laughs> so thanks to Sourcebooks for sponsoring this episode. And... With Swords books comes Kingdom of Exiles" by Maxim Martineau. Um, it is her debut novel, and it is a fantasy romance which goodness knows we need more of in the world, and it's apparently a fast-growing subgenre, so awesome. If you are unfamiliar, exiled charmer Lena Edenfrell is running out of time. Empty pockets forced her to sell her beloved magical beasts, an, off- an offense punishable by death right? And now there's a price on her head. With the realm's most talented murderer for hire nipping at her heels, Lena makes Nock an offer he can't refuse. Powerful mythical creatures in exchange for her life. Plagued by a curse that kills everyone he loves, Nock agrees to Lena's terms in hopes of finding a cure. Never mind that the dark magic binding the assassin's oath will eventually force him to choose between Lena's continued survival and his own. What... Okay, so this story has been described as Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them meets Assassin's Creed, which are all good things, if you enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, And the New York Times included Kingdom of Exiles on its four delicious new romance novels list and called it a lush and sweeping swords and sorcery romance. And, you know, I don't usually venture into sword and sorcery, but I'm going to have to for this one because... It sounds really fun, and it's sitting on my bookshelf. Anyway, <laughs> thank you again to Sourcebooks and Kingdom of Exiles by Maxim M. Martineau. And
0: actually, I clicked through the link for this on the show notes. I think there's a possibility. I don't know. Maybe they'll change the link between now and when we post the show. I think you might be able to win a copy of this book. So click through the link in the show notes, enter your information, and it seems like it could just be coming your way. I don't know. Something. Something to look into.
1: That's exciting.
0: It really is. <laughs> you know what else is exciting, Sarah and Jess? The opportunity to talk about some of the interesting and complicated romance news of 2019 so far. So, um, we all came prepared with a topic of romance news that we've heard about, talked about. Jess and I have talked about all of them at least at some point on this show. Um, and now we will sort of revisit what has been big in romance so far in 2019. Uh, Sarah, you want to kick us off?
2: I was just sitting here thinking, wow, 2019 has felt like three years in six months. Yeah. So a lot has happened and it's a lot, a lot Mm -hmm. has happened. Um, So when you asked about things, a, a new story that would be influential um, or big this year, I sort of had to sit and think, did all of this happen? in tw- Yeah, that Yeah, that was 2019. That yeah. too. Oh, my goodness, that too. But the thing I wanted to talk about was the copy paste Chris Christian Soria plagiarism, sort of uh, revolution. Because when it happened, I was struck by a number of things that indicated how much things have changed. So in order to sort of put this in context, I want to go back to the 1900s into 1987, which was when Nora Roberts sued Janet Daly for plagiarism. And I remember being at a conference. I was a college senior, so I was 21. And you know how you used to go to a hotel and they would hose the whole hotel down in free copies of USA Today? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. At the purple section. I always went for the purple section. Mm-hmm. So in the purple section, mm-hmm. obviously, um, there was an article about. This case, and I knew the name Nora Roberts um, because I went to a very, very small women's college that had a very, very small library, but blessed it had a, r- a very small romance paperback section. And they had Nora Roberts because they were not whoever the librarian was that was doing the paperback acquisition, uh, she was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I don't know who she was, but I very grateful to her. So I knew the name Nora Roberts, and so I saw this article, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And that was my first experience of being made fun of as a romance reader by a major newspaper. Mm-hmm. Because the newspaper coverage, if you Google it now, it's all like, "Well, ha ha, this is why they're all the same, Ugh. cause they are." Ha! Oh man, and there's if you look back at some of the coverage from that time, it was end of July '97. It was it was gross. And that was the first time I realized that the thing that I liked to read was a joke and that I was frustrated with how it was framed. So fast Mm -hmm. forward to 2008, I am part of this website and I co-founded it with a woman named Candy Tan. And Candy gave her friends some romances, one that was super great, one that was super objectionable. And I don't remember for the life of me what the third one was, but the super objectionable one was Cassie Edwards. And Cassie Edwards, at that time and prior to those dates, was ubiquitous. Like you could find her books in every truck stop everywhere. She was she was just everywhere, and they're all they're all named Savage something. So if, if you're not familiar with
0: Cassie Edwards' work, oh no, I can guess
2: yeah where that's going. They, yeah, it's like a. You know those layer cakes that they make that's like a thousand crepes? That's how many layers of objectionable we're talking about here. So Candy's friend realized, wait a minute, some of the narrative style doesn't match and started Googling. And by the time we were done, we had compiled with the help of a lot of readers and other bloggers, including people from Dear Author and people from other sites, 22 plus books and more than 25 different sources, many of which were Native American research texts that had been developed at a time when doing so doing that research was endangering the lives of the people who were being interviewed and the people doing the recording. So it was super terrible. But at that time, we were the ones who were mean. And we took a lot of negativity when we were like, hey, uh, we have found a lot of plagiarism, and here's more, and here's still more. And here is still more. At the time. I didn't think this was going to be a big story when we published it the first time in 2008 because it was the same week that somebody sued Seinfeld's wife over a cookbook. Oh my
0: gosh, I actually remember that. I did not realize it was 11 years ago.
2: (laughs) It was the cookbook where you like blend up vegetables and stick them in other things. Yeah,
0: to like fool your children,
2: yeah. Exactly, and it was the same time I thought, well, no one's going to look at us. I was very wrong because yet again, romance in the media is like, Easy pickings for you know a quick article, but the response to us was that we were being mean and we were out of line and we were what we were doing was unacceptable and we were we were being terrible. This was also my very first experience with seeing someone who was smart enough to say, "Okay, we are now on the train to Bizarro Land and we need to do the work of reframing what is being said here." So Jane Litt from Dear Author basically said, we need to discuss who's the actual victim here. We need to talk about the writers whose work was lifted, many of whom are dead. And we need to talk about how extensive this is. So even though we got a lot of negativity and, and, and a lot of accusations of meanness, we kept after it. And I learned a tremendous amount from that experience, not the least of which is how easy it is to take down a server <laughs> when, oh. when you're not paying a lot for hosting. <laughs> yeah. And it was picked up by Yahoo and the New York Times. And all of a sudden I was like, I run a pink blog about romance. This is much bigger than I expected. So now we fast forward to 2019. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, this is, uh, that is very different from what happened this spring.
2: Yeah. So Courtney Milan realized from a reader, and it is always a reader who discovers this, always, mm-hmm. that Christiane Soria had allegedly plagiarized some of her books. And Courtney Milan being an un- questionable badass, published a post titled, Christiane Sruya is a copyright infringer, a plagiarist, and an idiot. And some readers, two of whom I interviewed on, on my show, Claire Ryan and Christy, who writes online as Caffeinated Faye, kept updating and kept updating and discovering more books and more books. And then at one point, I saw on Twitter that they had discovered that Nora Roberts had been plagiarized. And I remember saying out loud to the dogs because I was alone, we need to go to the bunker now, right now. This is not a drill. Everyone go to the bunker. This is going to be bad. Like, that's just <laughs> st- stupid. Like colossal stupid. You don't go to Mordor on uh, without a weapon and you don't plagiarize Nora Roberts. Like, this is not rocket science. But what happened was Claire is a programmer and They were incredibly supported by authors and readers going, this is terrible. What are we going to do? This is not okay. What can we do? And Claire has created this website called Similar.Works, where she is able to upload books and through her programming skills, help authors detect plagiarism extremely quickly. So it doesn't rely on a reader going, hold up. I just read this. This is familiar. Where is this from? She has advanced how yeah. we're going to be able to detect plagiarism from this one event in a, in a few months time. And like she kept saying, Oh, it's really not a big deal. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is a really big deal. This is huge. So I, we went from, Oh, haha. Ha, that's why they're all the same to you're so mean. I can't believe how mean you are to now we have brilliant programming that's going to detect thievery and stop plagiarism because that's just, that's just amazing. I am so in awe of what readers can do when they are really passionate about something. So that is my news item from 2019.
0: I feel like that's, yeah, that's your news item from 2019 and also 1997
2: and also 2008. Yeah.
0: That's a long ass time, right? Exactly. There's, well, and yeah, to see the progression of that is really interesting. I don't know, Sarah, if you have thoughts, I don't know Jess, if you're thinking the same thing, but I'm wondering if at this point, given that we are in the information age of 2019, is the plagiarism more rampant now than it was? I'm sure it is maybe, you know, than it was in 97. But in 2008, ebooks were only really just starting to kind of take off. So is there an element of that that has, has changed the game? I would guess so.
2: I mean, we have a, a PDF of all of the sourced and then lifted material for the Cassie Edwards books that was last updated in January of 2008. All of the books that she had published were 1998, 1996. One was 1985, 1990. It was one of the later ones. So not only are there so many more books, like hourly now, but there's just so many it's impossible to really examine them all which why is which is part of why i think the programming development is so extraordinary because you have this i mean seriously since we started recording how many books have been published <laughs>
1: <laughs> so true right and you know it, it's it's like much easier to just pull things from other things now that there everything is digital basically whereas i was reading something i don't remember i don't remember if i read the whole article i might have just been scrolling and saw a an article title um but a lot of things from the 20th century aren't available digitally so if you hadn't read some of those things from 1997, 1995 how do you even notice yeah right absolutely so <laughs> It's just one of those things where, you know, it It might be more rampant now just because there's so much and it's all online. Yeah. Well, and
0: I would be curious, too, whether this – because there was an element of this story as well where um, folks got blamed because they were ghostwriters, which I think is also I, – I don't know, actually. Either of you who have been reading romance for longer than I have would probably know this better than I would. I know that th- – it was frequently the case for folks to, to publish relatively rapidly. I, it seems like this idea that, again, I'm not saying that this is actually what happened, but this idea that you could take some things and give them to some ghost writers and have them put together a book so you were publishing a book a week, I feel like you know some of our more modern ways of reading romance and acquiring romance as readers
2: might have changed that game a little bit too. It's certainly possible. I think that this is going to sound tremendously cynical. But as long as there is a pot of money from which you can get a piece, there's going to be people who try to game it as fast as they can until the pot of money runs out. Yeah.
1: And there are those voracious readers who if they have a favorite author, you know, there are people who publish two books a year. And that's fine for me. I am happy to read those two books when they come out. But If there are readers who are used to people publishing once a month, even, and they're like, Where's your next book? Where's your next book? And they feel that they can use that to be like, Hey, look, I'm publishing all the time, read all my stuff. Then there's also that. Hmm. Well, that's grim. Thanks, guys.
0: Uh, Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Because actually, our our next story um, is a little bit grim as well.
1: It's so much happier.
0: Uh, Over to you, Jess.
1: (laughs) Well, the one that I thought I could not ignore this year, even though we talked about it last year, too, is the Rita's.
2: How do you solve a problem like the Rita's? How do you take the races, make them go away? Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) That made it so much happier. Though, I was Sarah. really trying. <laughs> I'm sorry. i was real trying. <laughs> yeah, I feel like
0: uh, you should get a SoundCloud, Sarah. I'm not exactly sure <laughs> what SoundCloud is, but I sometimes see it on Twitter. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just your backup singer. I'm the I'm the Pips here. I'm ready to just support this, make it a happy, happy story about something absolutely frustrating.
0: <laughs> when in Romance, and the Pips is uh, very possibly going to be our show show title. We'll see.
1: I, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so for those of you who are catching up or have blocked it from your memory, um, this is the second year in a row that there has been very, very, very vocal recognition of the very low number of, um, authors of color who were recognized in the Rita finalists in both the, the, like, published Rita books in the golden heart um, section. And this time it was vocal enough that it looks like the RWA board actually thought about doing something. They hired a diversity person to like have a look at it. But before they got there, there was a lot of conversation mostly on Twitter because that seems to be where the world is now. Um, And the fact that three of the 46, I think, finalists were authors of color and a lot of very, very familiar books by authors of color that even we talk about here were not there was noticeable. And part of that is because the Rita's are a self-nomination award you have to actually submit your book if you want it to be part of the nomination and selection process. And a lot of authors who've been around the block a few times just decided to stop doing it because they weren't getting far, not because they're terrible writers, but because to some judges, certain people don't deserve happily ever afters. And there's also the fact that there aren't very many um, books about or even by queer people. And that was uh, another thing that we've been talking about, but it's even that is not as bad as the number of people of color, specifically black authors that we've seen nominated and Bronwyn Fleetwood put together an amazing Actual study of 20 years of the readers with zero black winners. <laughs> 20 years of the readers. RWA was co-founded by a black woman. We have favored black authors in this community, some of whom have only been prominent in the last few years, some of whom have been writing for 25. Um, but not a single one has won the of uh, Rita Award. Um, some have been finalists, and authors of color have won Rita Awards, but not a single Black author. And, you know, people took notice and started talking about it. And we had a lot of conversations about racism in romance that continue to happen today. Like, literally today.
2: Literally, today, I'm assuming you saw the, all the posts about the Bridgerton casting.
1: Yes,
2: yeah, listen, some of those comments are in Portuguese. Do not translate them. You will be sad. I'll do my best, yeah, really. just 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 be like i I just I get the spirit of it. Just don't injure your heart that way. It's not worth it,
0: yeah. and for folks who um are maybe not as much up on the social media slash netflix slash Shondaland scene. <laughs> The Bridgerton series, which, first of all, I don't know why, you're not, but you know what, <laughs> to each their own. You spend your time doing whatever. Um, the some of the the casting for the Shonda Rhimes adaptation of Julia Quinn's Bridgerton series has come out this week, as just mentioned, we're recording on the eleventh of July, and it is a multiracial cast. There are um, characters of I know that there are black and white actors i honestly i'm one of those people that has not read the bridgerton series and hasn't been following this as closely as i should
2: oh if you need a quick primer of which books to go for you let me know
1: because oh i will be texting you after the podcast <laughs> deep deep nostalgia let's just also say the Bridgertons is all white as written yes
2: Oh, it's very white. How many syllables can you put in the word "white" to fully encapsulate how white this series is? I mean, it is white.
0: How many uh, books are there in the series? That might be how many
2: syllables to use. Yeah, yeah, good call. Good call. (laughs) That's that's good. I like that. And I do know a
0: variety of folks who um, of you know different backgrounds and, and ethnicities and cultures and races that really like the series. The, the backlash that um, Sarah and Jess were mentioning is that there were some folks out in the world who, for some reason, probably racism, if that's the only one I can think of, were objecting to the fact that the cast was not all white for this book series that is all white. Uh, I don't know, I'm, not, I'm not as good as Sarah is. I'm making all the syllables. I'm not as good at it. Yeah.
2: And it's also, it's also the casting, I think, of Simon Bassett, who is the hero of The Duke and I, which is one of the earliest and most popular books, though, wow, does present Sarah question past Sarah's love of that book for a whole raft of reasons. That particular casting, real as a as a as a man of color, really seemed to um, drop a match on some racism Tinder, and not mm-hmm. the, the the app like the actual Tinder. Mm-hmm. And sure, <laughs> the the comments were. I don't want to say surprising because I wasn't surprised, but I was sort of like, "Wow, you're just gonna show your whole behind like that? Just, yeah, it's a yep. full moon.
1: Yep, wow, the whole thing. Real yeah, cool. the whole thing. Wow, yeah.
2: you're just gonna you just
1: Yeah, it's
0: interesting too, Jess, that you mentioned that the Rita conversation had happened so much on Twitter, because I feel like this one did too. It's just a really, it has become a very important space. I think sometimes one of our colleagues, I I won't mention her name, another Book Riot person, and I were uh, chatting earlier today about what had gone on, she wasn't exactly sure, and I I wasn't exactly sure, and we were trying to kind of both piece it together. And I told her, you know, I feel like sometimes it can be difficult to figure out on Twitter when there is a real thing that you should dedicate your thought and attention to, and when someone is just kind of like bored at work. But I think a lot of the conversation that has gone on around race and romance and the lack of inclusion and the discrimination and the Ritas and all of that has been really important conversation that you're right. We talked about it last year. If the podcast existed, had existed the year before that, we would have talked about it then too. You know, like it's, it's an ongoing problem, but I do think to the extent that we started to see some shifting,
1: some of that might be because of social media. Yeah. And it, it, you know, social media, like people like to talk about social media as this sort of like giant fire pit um, where all thoughts go to die, but it's also a really great space for discourse that discourse can fall to pieces, but that's a place where people who haven't usually had their voices heard or haven't had a platform except maybe like live journal um, can actually speak and have conversations with other people who thought that nobody else felt the same way or didn't know that people noticed And having that kind of space is really important, especially since the readers are kind of right now the last standing romance award. I mean, there's a few small ones, but with RT closing, like that was that was a big award that I went to look at. Like I wanted to see what RT's awards were because those were reviewer selected. And that was something that was important to me, and then suddenly there weren't those awards anymore and now r t is the only thing standing, and we expect it to be a representation of the romance genre as a whole. Yet what we are reading isn't what's there, and we're wondering why, because there are so many authors of color in my daily life that I don't understand how they're not how they're somehow not making it to that point well.
0: Maybe twenty twenty.
1: We'll see. Maybe twenty twenty.
0: I don't know. Like you said, I think I do think that they took more measurable and clear steps this year than we've seen them do in the past, which may be worth something. And in the meantime, you can just read somebody else's best of twenty eighteen list. We had one. <laughs> we we're pretty excited about it. <laughs> it was it was a good
2: list. <laughs> yeah. I also know that the the current president Helen K Diamond has been constantly working on this since before mm-hmm. she became president, and I know that the current board is made of people who are like, yeah, we we gotta mm-hmm. we gotta fix this. It is it is it is a big organization. It's like pivoting a cruise ship, yeah, and weeding out the problem is only a, a part of the overall issue. And it, it also makes me want to sort of say to anyone who's eligible to run for leadership in RWA, if you are in a chapter or in a position where you can do that, that's another way to make much better situations for people. That said, I know that there are some chapters that are so hostile and so unpleasant that people don't want to do that. And I don't want to say, hey, you should go put yourself through this horribly dip- difficult <laughs> thing because I think it's a good idea. I'm as full of crap as anybody. <laughs> But I know, I mean, I'm a member of RWA and I have been for a long time and I've judged the Rita's for a couple of years now. The first round, there was a rumor going around that I was a finalist judge. I thought it was hilarious because mm-hmm. no, not. And I know I want the organization to be better. Do I know how to solve this problem? No, no, I do not. But I want it to be solved and I want to figure out how to make it better. I don't know how that's going to happen, but re- refusing to tolerate it as it happens is one
1: part of that. Yeah, Totally. Yeah. And, you know, it's been it's been great to sort of watch the progress, both on like RWA site with the board statements and the people that they are trying to bring in to help them figure out where to go, even just with the Rita's and then and then see what they can do with the whole organization as a whole.
2: Oh, yes. I mean, this is an organization that when I was a member said that they were going to determine that romance was a was a love story between a man and a woman. And then a future board was like, yeah, no, we that that was that was poor. We take that back. (laughs) Um, Mm Bad on us. And then they gave a lifetime achievement award to Suzanne Brockman, knowing that her speech was going to be the exact thing that it was, which was literally hair raising, like I had goosebumps the whole time. So (laughs) great. They are, I think that there's a portion of the the organization that is aware, yes, we have to keep pushing to make this better. We have to make this better. We have to make this better. It's such a big process. But, you know, you got to keep pushing.
0: Well, and change happens uh, very slowly which is, uh, but it it is happening. And that was my news story. Before we get into it, let me, let me do one more quick ad spot, um, that we are very excited to buy (laughs) just to build a little suspense.
2: Hang on, hang on. I'll do a drum roll here. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome.
0: (laughs) That was beautiful. Oh, so good. Uh, I wish I had a sound box, but now I don't need (laughs) one because you've got one ready to go. This episode is also sponsored by Lifelines by Heidi Deal. So for fans of Meg Wolitzer and Maggie Shipsteed, Lifelines is a sweeping debut novel following an American artist who returns to Germany, where she fell in love and had a child decades earlier, to confront her past at her former mother-in-law's funeral. It's exquisitely balanced, expansive, yet wonderfully intimate. Lifelines explores the indelible ties of family, the shape art, history, and nationality give to all of our lives. And the ways in which we are forever evolving with each step we take and with each turn of the earth. Um, this book has been described as a smart vacation read, uh, much like The Interestings by Meg Willitzer, Astonished Be by Maggie Shipstead, and The Light We Lost by Jill Santapolo. Lifelines is a great book for beach readers, um, especially those who are looking for maybe a little bit more depth in their beach reads. It's an accessible style and relationship, it, there's a relationship driven plot. They are are immediately appealing, but there are also a lot of complex characters, wide and rich swaths of art and history, and astute social observations, which all deepen its pull. There are a lot of nonfiction hooks and cultural touch points in lifelines. Um, So, you know, in general, it sounds like this is a book that has a lot of depth that you could really sink your teeth into while maybe doing some vacationing this summer. Um, Heidi is German American and her mother was a German translator. As such, her family traveled between the countries often. In that way, she mirrors uh, one of the characters, though she's also toured Europe in a ragtag band, um, much as another one of the characters does in Lifelines. So thank you again to Lifelines by Heidi Deal for sponsoring this episode which actually it sounds like an amazing book. I, that one was not on my radar and now it is, I will be clicking through in our show notes, but uh, we were going to talk about the changing world of romance, which um, after Sarah and Jess had sort of staked their claim for the big stories of the year so far, mine ended up being a little bit more subtle um, because it seems to me, and again, both of you have been reading romance for longer than I have. So you would have um, some interesting insights on this, but Between the news that we're seeing, whether it's the Bridgerton series that we already mentioned that's being adapted by Julia or from Julia Quinn by Shonda Rhimes, uh, the playbook series um, by Alexa Martin that we have mentioned a few different times, Intercepted and Fumbled are the two books out right now, which is being adapted for stars. I actually am super intrigued to see what happens with the Virgin River series by Robin Carr for a lot of reasons. That's (laughs) Whole other topic. Um, we've seen Reese Witherspoon pick up The Proposal by Jasmine Guillory for her book club read. The Key to Happily Ever After by Tip Marcello, which was a little bit more of a contemporary fiction pick as opposed to romance. Some people would refer to it as women's fiction. I refuse to do that because I hate that term. Love the book. Hate that term. Um, and then as we've seen kind of the shift toward more illustrated covers toward more trade paperbacks which has meant that more indie bookstores i think are willing to carry romance it there is also you know i mentioned this contemporary fiction you know element that's going on with some of the romance writers that we're seeing so far i think as the confluence of romance and contemporary fiction gets a little bit blurrier it just seems like we are seeing romance through different kind of doors and windows, entering a broader cultural space than I would have anticipated four or five years ago. Um, again, I don't know, that might just be me. But that is one of the things that I'm taking away from some of the news I've seen in 2019.
1: No, I totally I totally think you're right. It's sort of like, um, I read somewhere that 1999 was the year of the nerd. Suddenly, it became like cool, and it seems like now is about that time where like people are coming out of the rafters to admit that they are romance readers. Maybe that's been happening for the past three or four years, Um, but like, it really feels like it's it's not one of those "ha ha, you're not cool" secrets. It's like, oh, you read romance, I read romance, and it's starting to become. Less of a dirty secret, I guess you're going to say. And it's interesting. I like that contemporary fiction because I also hate women's fiction as a term, but I use it because it's the only thing that I can think of. But I like that. And there are a lot of uh, there's a lot of the other thing happening, too, where people are publishing contemporary fiction like, um, oh, it's the the new book, Evie Drake. Evie Drake starts over. Oh, yeah. Starts over. Um, people publishing things in hardcover as contemporary fiction, that is basically romance, like central love story, happily ever after, things like that, that are sort of making their way into the general fiction readers viewpoint, if they might not pick up mass market paperback. So it's really weird to see all of that happening, the trades you're talking about. And, uh, Yeah, I find myself talking about it more, although sometimes the people that I talk about it with, like in real life, are still a little more hesitant to like, come to the fun side. (laughs) But, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's happening. I think you're right. I live on a cul-de-sac, and
2: I get a lot of books on the porch. (laughs) And my neighbors, now that we've lived here for three years, have now caught on that if they are in search of reading material, they just got to knock on my door and I will take them into the Mm -hmm. garage of unending library possibilities. (laughs) And I now know what everyone likes. But like I live extremely close to the DC Mormon temple and so several of my neighbors are Mormon and I know exactly what to give them and now I've heard that the things that I give them are now being passed to all of their friends and they want to know more book recommendations Mm -hmm. and I feel like, wow, all of these people around me are just super excited to embrace romance and to ask me what I do and that was not the case 10 years ago. I also completely agree that the move to trade and illustrated covers shows the way that books are changing. And I find it amazing that I'm seeing so much more coverage of books with that style when the places to buy those physical books are still kind of few and far between. Like I used to be able to go to Costco and there would be six pallets of romance. Now there's like one and they brought back that weird venti size Have you seen those?
1: Yeah, the the skinny tall ones.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I call it the venti. It's ridiculous. I I have little itty bitty Uh hands. I cannot hold those things. They are ridiculous. But I looked, I looked, I was like, oh my God, it's the venti. They Costco brought back the venti. It's like a tall, thin narrow, but thick, many pages paperback. It's very strange. It's very strange. Interesting. But the, the but the trade positioning allows more books to show up in more places and more books to be discovered. And I also think that there is this sort of general, you know what, things are really hard and miserable and scary and difficult. And we are in a nonstop newsfeed of all of the above. I'm going to embrace the things that I love. And I really don't care anymore what you think. But that could also be my perspective as someone who gets crankier as she (laughs) ages. And I have fewer craps to give. I mean, this could be just my own, you know, pollution of my own perspective through my own lenses. I think that people are more apt to embrace. Yeah, I do want to be happy. And yes, I do want to read something joyful. Please give me another one of these. This is awesome.
1: Mm, Totally.
0: And I wonder too, I mean, you know, self publishing and e-publishing have opened doors to folks who would not have felt comfortable reading romance in their lunchroom or on their commute or in a park or wherever. But I wonder if as they, and I should say we, because I started reading sort of in that way, you know, at a gym on my, at that time,
2: nook. Oh, <laughs> I know.
0: Right. Yeah. I know way back when, not to date myself, but (laughs) I was reading e-reader romance on a nook. So you can pretty much zero in on the exact six months in which I started reading romance. (laughs) But I do wonder if as folks started to realize, like I did, oh, this is actually super progressive and great. And if somebody wants to ask me questions about it, then I would love to answer them. And if somebody wants to roll their eyes at me, then I don't care because I know that what I'm doing is great. So too bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. We will see what continues to happen, but I think we are we are all agreed that we are seeing a trend in that direction. So that's exciting. Um, speaking of trends, the next thing that we wanted to check in about is whether there is... Do either of you uh, have a romance author that you think either has already popped broken big, as we said in eight <laughs> years ago, uh, or maybe will in 2019. Maybe I'll start with Jess this time in the hopes that she and Sarah did not pick the same person.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Um, let's see. I think this is actually the person that I mentioned last year. I can't remember. And I did not do (laughs) correct research to find out. But this is actually kind of Jasmine Guillory's year. Like she was big last year. No doubt about it. But she has a hardcover Christmas release coming out in October. Like that is huge. And uh, she's going on tour for her new book. That's coming out um on the 15th. Is that when it's coming out? Um, And it's just like, there is no stopping her. Like I cannot see anything short of her, awful, terrible, untimely death stopping Have mercy. her. mercy. Stopping her from oh just like gosh. shooting upwards, 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 and continuing. We're going to get mail about that, I think, Jess. I, I'm not saying that I want that to happen. I'm just saying that's the only thing I can see stopping her right now. Um, and, you know, like, and she is, she is that name that people keep invoking when they want to talk about diverse romance. And yeah, that's cool. That's great. But just as a person publishing, like, her, her books are great. They're not, like, life changing, but they're really great and really fun. And I think people are really latching on to that. And thus finding other people that Berkeley publishes, I know.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: And uh, just the, the, she's got, I think, two more books in her next contract or maybe three I can't remember where the beginning and end of contracts are but I remember her announcing a four book deal which started with either started with this book or starts with the next one or starts after that I don't even know um but I think 2019 is like her her next level year and we'll see what happens next year I guess
0: Uh, So for those folks who uh, are wondering, The Wedding Party is her new book that is coming out July 16th. And then Royal Holiday is the hardcover holiday romance that Jess mentioned. Sarah, who's on your list? Who's going to break big or already has?
2: One of my picks literally broke big like this week. (laughs) Ooh. So when you were on my show, which will air tomorrow, July 12th, um, I mentioned that I had read a manuscript of Evie Drake starts over in 2017. And I remember thinking very clearly, this is why I don't read manuscripts because I don't have anybody to talk about this book with, and I'm not going to have anybody <laughs> to talk about this book with for like flipping years. And this is why I'm never going to do this again, but it was really, really good, even in that form. And the book came out, uh, Linda Holmes hit the times last week and her book was picked as the today show, uh, book club pick and now it's number three on the new york times bestseller list and she is on tour supporting it and it gets bigger and bigger and it's kind of like watching something truly incredible happen to someone whose work you admire and respect is the most lovely feeling Mm, yeah so she like literally broke big like this week and i'm so excited my other pick because in case that having already happened was a was a trick i'm extremely (laughs) biased extremely (laughs) biased on this one I think Alicia Rye's next book, The Right Swipe, is going to be massive. I think it is going Mm -hmm. to be a huge hit because I think it combines so many aspects of contemporary culture and contemporary romance. And she is extremely good at writing nuanced characters who are funny and real, but also deal honestly with real emotional and mental illnesses and and struggle with, you know, all the stuff that comes with being human in a way that's incredibly relatable. Um, I'm super biased. I have absolutely no chill whatsoever here. Uh, but I think that the right swipe is going to be a massive success. I hope so. Anyway, not quite. Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. All three of those sound right to me. The person that I picked on mine is someone who I have talked about many, many times, but I think they are just about to hit big. And that is Anna Zappo, mm. uh, whose Twisted Wishes series just wrapped up this year.
2: Such a good pick. Yes. Yes.
0: Well, and I think that Anna's work is so good. They write queer erotic romance that has really impactful storylines because of the found family elements that Anna infuses all along the way. I think that the work that they do is not necessarily the kind of thing that you don't see a lot of Really deep multi-dimensional queer erotic romance coming out of New York well, look at me, I sound so inside baseball coming out uh-huh. of the major publishing houses. Mm-hmm. but I think that Karina press has been really, really supportive of that series, and I think that that they that Karina could potentially paired with the really fantastic writing that Anna does could really help push Anna into the next Level, like I, th- I, like I said, I have been, you know, a huge fan um, since being turned on to their writing maybe a year or so ago. I love the Twisted Wishes series. I can't wait to see what they do next. But I also think that paired with a house like Karina, uh, they could really, kind of, like I said, catapult into the next level. So I hope, I hope that that happens. But I also, I don't think it's just a wing and a prayer. I think that that's a real thing that could be next on the radar. So we'll see.
1: That's a great pick. That is a great pick. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm, oh man, I, we talked a few, episodes, I don't know, a few months ago now probably about all of these series that came to a close, right? In the same month. Mm-hmm. that We were sort of like, oh my God, now what? Now what am I supposed <laughs> to do or read? Yeah, this is done. Yeah. <laughs> um, but speaking of the series that came to a close and the books that we loved, what have been, so there, there's been a lot of I mean, we've talked about this a thousand times. It's, Sarah, you know as well as we do. There's been so much good romance released in the in the last six months. So there's no way to talk about all of it. Um, I will actually link to the Book Riot uh, 2019 Best of So Far list, which has some amazing romance on it, including uh, Reverb, the most recent book by Anna Zappo, which I wrote up. Uh, <laughs> but, so we had the chance to do that. But um, what are some of the great romances released so far this year that it, you guys have? have really appreciated.
2: All right. I, um, I have two romances, a book I'm reading now and a nonfiction recommendation that I also wanted to make sure to pass along. Is that okay? I'll talk really fast. That is allowed. This is an occupational hazard with inviting me to talk about anything resembling books. I apologize. I mean, same, (laughs) right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's going to happen.
0: We go long every week. Don't
2: worry about it. Right. (laughs) So the nonfiction I want to recommend is called the wolf pack by Abby Wombaugh. This is an expansion of
0: I just bought that. <laughs> Sorry. I just got <laughs> Oh my <laughs> gosh,
2: Trisha. Trisha, it's so good.
0: Cuz it's only like 150 pages, right? I might have actually gotten it
2: on audio. I don't remember. It's so good. It is like you're going to like feel this part of your soul like wake up and start roaring. It's exquisite. It's an expansion of a, a commencement speech that she gave, but the basic point of it is to re-examine and reframe. I have so much work for, so much respect for the people who do the work of reframing how we talk and consider things. Um, Mm. Because it's so hard. And when someone does it well, you're just like, wow. Um, What she's doing is readdressing how women look at and support one another. And the base message is that you were never Red Riding Hood. You are always the wolf. Um, Mm. I'm here for that message. I loved this book so much. And I borrowed it from the library. And I was going to read it again, because like you said, it's like 100 pages, right? But the whole <laughs> list, the whole list was so long that I returned it as soon as I was done, because I wanted the next person to have it sooner. It was that good. I cannot love tell you how much I love this book. So that's my nonfiction rec. And it's a little one. So you can get through it quickly.
0: Just very quick side tangent. Another book that started out as commencement speech, but turned out to be incredibly delightful, especially on audio is Dream More by Dolly Parton. Just that's just for all of you to keep in mind.
2: <gasps> I'm sorry. Excuse me. Yep. You are going to hear me typing because mm-hmm. I got to write that down.
0: And <laughs> I got it from the Libby app from my local library. So heads up. It is amazing. It's wonderful. She like breaks out into song occasionally. It's amazing. Anyway, that's Dream More by Dolly Parton. Sorry. <laughs> Continue, Sarah.
2: Dream More. Okay. <laughs> you don't understand how much I love Dolly Parton. Oh my gosh. She's amazing. I love her so much. It's another okay.
0: conversation have another time.
2: <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Okay, so the two romances that have already been published that I want to recommend are Kiss and Cry by Mina V. Esguerra. Uh, Mina V. Esguerra is part of the Romance Class Writers Group in the Philippines, and um, which is a group of Filipino romance authors. They're extraordinary. Their ability to support and promote one another is amazing. Their live events sound incredible. Kiss and Cry is about a... Champion skater, figure skater, and a very successful hockey player, um, and it deals with being in the diaspora and coming home, being part of a community but not really part of a community. And the the base conflict is that she was never allowed to date when she was skating, and now she's like, I'm in charge and I'm going to date whomever I want, and this guy's perfect because he's going to leave and go back to the states, so this is great. And of course, that never works out how you want it to. <laughs> ever. But it deals with so many other subtle things in ways that I just like I kept highlighting things like, wow, this one little scene ties back three whole chapters to this other thing. And now everything makes much more sense. It's exquisitely written. I love it. The other one is called The Flatshare by Beth O'Leary. Okay, so I have a thing for books where people leave notes for each other. (laughs) It's like super micro epistolary novels. And in this book, this um, woman gets kicked out of her apartment by her recently ex-boyfriend who's terrible. And she finds an ad um, to share a flat with a hospice nurse who works at night and stays with his girlfriend on the weekends. So she would have the flat at night and then she would leave and go to work and he would use the flat during the day to sleep because he works the night shift. And they would never meet, they would just leave notes for each other. And slowly they start to get to know each other through these notes. And it is really adorable. I like that one. The one that I'm reading right now, I haven't finished. So this is a uh, a caveat uh, recommendation, because I haven't finished it. And it could all go to hell, but I really hope it doesn't. Um, Is the bookish life of Nina Hill. It is so unexpectedly funny at times. At one point this evening, I was reading it and I started laughing so hard that of course my husband was like, what are you laughing at? (laughs) And then I made that terrible, terrible decision to read it out loud. And I'm like in the middle of reading it, and I'm like, he's not going to think this is funny. And I get to the funny part, I get to the funny part, and he freaking loses it. It is so charmingly funny. And you spend so much time in Nina Hill's head just thinking with her. It's Really, really charming, and I am loving the hell out of it. And now I'm going to stop talking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that one was. That one was. Has been very, very big among some of our Book Riot fellow writers and contributors. So
2: it's so cute. It's so cute, and it's very L.A. Like there's a lot of things about it that are very specific about L.A. So I think if you're familiar with L.A. and L.A. culture, you're going to be like, "Oh, yes, that is entirely right."
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, very fair. Jess, you want to go? Sure. Well, um, the, my first one is actually, uh, two books that are currently out. This author was actually <laughs> in the running for me to be the breakout author of the year. Um, but I wasn't sure if she was quite there yet. And that is the I Dreamers who... series yep. by Adriana Herrera. <laughs> um as soon as you said two books that are currently out i was like i know who it is (laughs) you know me so well i'm a broken record about these books um the first is american dreamer and the second is american fairy tale which i actually like a little bit more um if you look at our best books so far you'll see that that one is the one that i dropped um and these books they they just have my heart they're so well written and they're about great people the um the core group is this group of friends that grew up um in new york they were all either children of immigrants or immigrants themselves and just sort of bonded the first book is about nesto the second book is about his buddy milo who is um a social worker American Fairy Tale might have gotten me because it is such competence porn. It's like you you're watching like all of this stuff happen and people getting things done while also falling in love and dealing with their stuff. And it's just like I so love great. competence porn. <laughs> it's so good. I love it so much.
2: Um, <laughs> is there a squeeze threshold for these episodes? Have we surpassed it? <laughs> no,
0: we're still not there good. No. Oh, okay. yeah. Go ahead. We have only have a <laughs> short amount of time, so
1: <laughs> <laughs> we might actually like only approach it this time. I don't know. We'll see. We can break you know, it. My alarm hasn't gone off yet, so we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also wrote down two others because I wasn't sure if anyone else was going to have them. Um, but one is another book that I've talked about a lot, which is also a mid-series book that you might need to read the rest of to understand but hey read the rest of it and that is Can't Escape Love by Alyssa Cole Um, it is a novella that was published between her recent two um, novels in the Reluctant Royal series and it features Reggie who is also very competent. Um, She has a disability and uses a wheelchair, but she has the coolest looking wheelchairs on the planet and uh, she can't sleep. So she contacts Gus about uh, talking her to sleep because it's the only way that she can sleep. Um, And guess what? They realize that they're both super nerds and can be nerds together and it's great I love it. it it like twisted my nerdy heart in the best ways and I was really excited um, and the third one because when do we ever stop um, I'm so glad you have more than one I would have felt so guilty <laughs> Well, you, you allowed me to open my doors because, you know, sometimes I hold off, but you know, this is a special occasion. Oh no, no, no.
2: Bring it, bring it, bring it.
1: (laughs) Is another nerdy one. Oh my gosh. These are all so nerdy, which, you know, I'm circling my face. Me um, is the ultimate pie day party by Jackie Lau. Um, (gasps) It's about a pie day party and pies. It's, perfect um and it's also just a great representation of family and weird communication issues and food don't read it hungry because you'll want oh God. pie like all of the pie um and so many math jokes like i didn't know i got math jokes because <laughs> i am not a mathy person but so many great math jokes in this book and that's it, it's I think it's the, it's technically the first in a series, although there's a .5 novella before that with a character that pops up but isn't really important to reading Ultimate Pie Day Party. So um, that one is also, it was just, it delighted me at a point in time when I really needed to be delighted. So it had maybe higher meaning than it would have had for me at another time, but that's all books. So, hey.
2: She writes such good families and such good food porn. Mm-hmm. Ariana Herrera and Jackie Lau both. Yeah. Serious food porn. Uh-huh. So much of it. God, that's so dangerous for so many of us,
0: but good. But dangerous. <laughs> um, I will just mention fairly quickly, uh, A Prince on Paper, which is in the same series as Can Escape Love by Alyssa Cole, which I, I kind of feel like part of the reason that I wanted to mention it again is I think we... I don't want to say we overlooked it because I know that we mentioned it, but I don't know if we talked about how good it was. I think I have the inclination. I don't want to assign this to either of you or anybody else listening, but where I am very much keeping an eye out for, you know, the next big thing, the next author who's going to break big, the next series I'm going to fall in love with. And it means that sometimes I do get distracted from a series that I know that I love. And I think that happened to me a little bit, but I, I did read, a uh, prince on paper before it came out, and actually, I think it was my favorite book in the Reluctant Royals series. It just has such a Alyssa uh, Cole. It does something in this book that I know I always think of Talia Hibbert as doing really well, and that she is very sort of kind to her characters and almost like compassionate to them in a way. They both have dealt with trauma, and they both are kind of finding their way in their families, even. Past that trauma. And so, um, it's just like a really lovely story about the people who care for each other and want to be together, but are dealing with both internal and external conflict. And, um, They just, yeah, Alyssa Cole does some really interesting things with the families in that book too, which I think is fantastic. Um, And then the other book that I would mention, I mentioned in passing either on the last episode or the one before, but I had just started it and hadn't finished it. Um, And now I have the biggest book hangover from Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors by Sonali Dev because I just get so immersed in her books and so... She, I mean, talk about someone who writes families really well. She does just a really yeah. beautiful, complex job with this family, um, the Rajay family. And it's interesting because Trisha Rajay, side note, great name,
1: uh, <laughs> is
0: she's kind of what you might think of once in a while as an unlikable heroine, especially when you see her from DJ's perspective, because she does. Say some things. It's funny because I've actually been one of those people that never really liked Darcy from the um,
1: <laughs> Bridges,
0: you know, book and then many adaptations. I was like, oh, that guy's kind of a jerk, and <laughs> I really liked Trisha until I saw her from DJ's perspective. And I was like, actually, she is a little bit airy, like she's kind of a jerk. I don't know about this, but you still you love her and you understand her. I think that's what that's one of the really interesting things that Sonali Dev does in this book is that. You see both perspectives, whereas with um, the classic Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, you only see Elizabeth's perspective, right? With um, many of the adaptations and the remakes and the reworks, you only see one side or the other. I think the fact that you get to see both the sort of traditional Darcy perspective and the traditional um, Lizzie Bennet perspective is a really interesting layer to add to this story. Um, and even as someone who has never been a huge Pride, pride and Prejudice person, like don't at me, uh, is, <laughs> I find that it, it, I just fell completely into this book and sort of hoped and wished that there would be a follow-up. I don't know if she's doing another book in the series. Um, I think maybe she is because this one's called The Rajay's Number One. So fingers crossed. <laughs> but um, But yeah, it's just such a really lovely book that, I didn't get to until after its publication date. So um, I don't know if we talked as much about that one as I would have otherwise.
1: Yeah. You know, Aisha at last is also really good at the dual perspective Mm. um, as a Pride and Prejudice retelling. Um, And also I want to say about A Prince on Paper, it was actually a really close call. I looked at both of them and (laughs) I I looked at them in my spreadsheet and they basically had identical numbers. And it was like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but, but can't escape love made me like happier i don't okay. know Okay. all right well hey you know what luckily
0: we uh we suit each other very well jess this has worked out great and actually i hadn't read either of your books sarah so i'm excited about both of them
2: my general theory is that if you haven't read a book it's a new book mm-hmm. so whenever someone discovers it whenever that is it's all good it's perfect
0: all right. Well, we have, uh I think we've crammed as much fun and news and recommendation, recommending as we can into this mid-year special. I think it was exactly the right length, but I do think at this point, it's getting to be pretty late out in Sarah's time zone. And Jessica yeah. may well have not eaten dinner at this point. We're in three different time zones as you know, <laughs> happens sometimes yeah um so Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. If people are looking for you um to learn more very wise and wonderful things from you, where would they look?
2: Oh, I am never on the internet ever.
0: <laughs> are you even thank familiar you. with the internet
2: <laughs> no, I don't even it's it's a series of tubes, right. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for having me. If you are looking for me, I'm at smartbitches trashybooks.com and you can also find the podcast there or wherever you get your podcast. did you know those apps are called podcatchers, which I think is the cutest name. I, so yeah, cute. that
0: is one time when like technology really did a thing well.
2: <laughs> podcatchers, they're so cute. Makes me think of like a butterfly net full of really good listening things. My podcast is Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm on Twitter at SmartBitches, our Instagram is at SmartBitches, and on facebook we are trashy books and you can always email me sarah with an h at smart bitches if you ever want book recommendations because that's like my whole job and i love it
0: yay yay and we will link to as uh, sarah mentioned uh this was a turnabout is fair play situation in that um <laughs> we were delighted to have her and we thought she might actually come on because she had us on our on her podcast um we recorded about a month ago but um we are the episode is coming out. We'll be out by the time you hear this. We'll link to it in the show notes.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You're you're just going to hear the three of us <laughs> talk
0: a lot for hours.
2: <laughs> it's going to be great.
0: It's just a very fun meta podcast weekend.
2: Yes, we're metaing.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, that it's that both happen to
1: be uh, as close together as they did. Uh, Jess, where will people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Jess's Reading, all one word, reading. That, that was very like, ooh. Um, <laughs> and on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading and it, email us at when in romance at bookriot.com. I know uh, if we have an email address now, we're
0: really excited about it. Um, Thank you for those of us who did email. We will, uh, again, we'll revisit some of those emails in the next episode. Um, I am at Trisha Haley Brown, both on Instagram and Twitter. Although on Twitter, you can drop the O for your convenience. Uh, And... (laughs) As well, um, if you have thoughts or um, feelings or you are so inclined, feel free to rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice if they do (laughs) ratings and reviews. Um, But for now, thank you all for hanging with us this first half of 2019. Or if you're new, welcome. And Sarah, thank you for hanging with us for our mid-year episode.
2: Yes. Thanks Thanks a lot. It was so much fun to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Maybe at the end of the year, we'll have to have you back. We'll see what happens. (laughs)
2: Oh, dude! I we we can duel with quizzes. If like you can bring a quiz, in, I will bring a
0: quiz. <laughs> oh man, I love it. That actually sounds super fun. We might have to
1: <laughs> figure it out. I get excited about quizzes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, and thanks as always to those of you who are listening. Have a wonderful week.
1: Bye. Happy reading.